My name is Chris Lynham, and I am your host of Off the Floor, the show that is all about the learning process, the critical pivots along the way, and the positive ripple effects from those decisions. What is it about regret that freaks everybody out? I mean, truthfully, it freaks me out. I mean, my favorite quote is, the pain of hard work hurts far less than the pain of regret. I love it, but I've always looked at regret like it's a disease, like it's something the Grim Reaper's gonna bring to you in a knapsack on your dying days just to make things hurt a little bit more. But what if I got it all wrong? What if we've miscast regret as something that it's not? You know, these days we're living in a no-regret sort of place, and whether you want to spell that with R-E or R-A, if you've seen the movie. But there's always an endless supply of motivation, and regret is like the gluten of feelings. But what if we need gluten? What if we need regret? So let's get something really straight right now. Regret and disappointment are two totally different things. So let's clarify. Disappointment is what you feel when there's an external result that doesn't go the way that you thought it would go. So it's really important, too, that these are choices that you don't control. These are things that you're not in charge of the outcome. The outcome is in the hands of the judges. So like in 2009, little backstory, Daisy and I were going through our first third trimester together. This means that this was when she was pregnant with our firstborn. And uh, we had a regular stay-at-home date night watching American Idol. And this was season eight, and uh, this is the season where in the San Francisco auditions, Adam Lambert absolutely slayed his version of Bohemian Rhapsody. And if you saw it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But this turned our casual interest in the show into like a full-blown obsession. And we did not miss even a single minute of the show, childbirth included. Christian was born between, I think, week one and week two or something like that. But we had it on DVR either way. So I'd never heard a contestant that really made me want to buy their music on the show before. And I bought every one of the songs that came out on iTunes for Adam Lambert. And everyone in the Lynham household believed that it was a foregone conclusion that Adam Lambert would win it all. And if you remember the finale, that finale was intense. I actually would show the finale on DVR to friends when they'd come over for just like different things, like people would come over to see the baby and stuff. And I remember just putting it on as just entertainment because it was awesome. They had Kiss on there with all this fire and leather and Adam Lambert was singing. And, you know, it was like David and Goliath. And Chris Allen had that one Kanye West heartless that was a really trending upward sort of track. And he really delivered a great performance on that. But I didn't think that it would be like a winning performance. But then Adam Lambert lost, and I literally started to scream. <laughs> and then Daisy gave me this look of, you know we have a baby, and you know this is just American Idol, right? And I was furious, and I swore I would never watch the show again, and it was all textbook disappointment. So now regret, on the other hand, has something to do with what you did or what you didn't do. And it's usually some type of opportunity and when I think about an opportunity of something that I did and I blew it, I always think about the homecoming game, my senior year, and my basketball team. 
So a little backstory here is uh, I had finally been able to dunk a volleyball in practice. And as soon as that happened in my school, like word got out right away. People started walking up to me and saying like, hey, I heard you can dunk. And I'm like, yeah, like, yeah, I guess so. And people are like, you're going to, you know, you're going to be the one. And it turns out that no one had dunked in a game in our school since this one guy had graduated two years earlier. And he was the last guy that ever dunked in the game. And so they had been dunkless for a couple of years. And it was like I was the great white hope. Like they were like, you're going to be the one that's going to dunk in the game. And so eventually in practice, I was able to start like dunking and just in warm ups, like running up and stuff like that, but never in a game. And uh, then the moment happened, and it was homecoming game. The place was packed out. We had a really great team, and it was, like, electric. And it was definitely one of those moments and one of those scenes that just feels like a movie. Things felt like they went in slow motion. And uh, sure enough, at half court, I intercept a pass, and I have this open lane towards the basket. And I'm, I'm trying to think and decide between should I go with one hand or two hand, one hand or two hand. And I'm thinking there's a guy behind me, and he's quicker than I am. And I'm just going for the basket, and I'm thinking I'm going to be the one that's going to break the streak. I'm going to be the great white hope. I'm going to be the first guy that's dunked, and I'm going to be this hero. And sure enough, I go up to dunk, and I waited until way too late. And I panicked, and by the time the ball got up to the rim, the ball didn't get past the rim. And if you're familiar with basketball, uh, I got hung, and what that means is when you're, the basketball hits the rim but does not actually go into the hoop. And the craziest thing happened, and I'm sure over the years it's become much more dramatic in my mind, but everybody started laughing. Like, everybody in the stands at a home game, everyone's laughing. And, uh, and they're laughing at me. And it was definitely one of those moments where, uh, I forget what movie it was, but Jim Belushi had this thing, you know, this movie where he was like, he went back to this one thing that happened to him and it was like a baseball game or something. But what would have happened if things had gone a little differently? And I always joke around and say, if I had made that dunk, I would be like Jeff Bezos right now. So alas, I didn't. And every day after that at school, people walked by me and they made gestures like, oh, like you broke your back. And I didn't probably help the situation because I laid on my back after that happened. Uh, like I was just stunned and like I passed out and then I got up and I ran back on defense. But it was definitely a moment where there was a lot of self-loathing. And, uh, and then just the ridicule in the hallway, you know, there was all this expectation and now the people around me were disappointed. They all thought that I was going to be the one. Um, but I was taking it with a lot of regret, with like steaming heapfuls of regret. But I think like looking back on it, I think that it was a character defining moment. I think that I had to be able to look people in the eye, laugh something off. And I'm sure that that's added something to my character. In fact, I think that looking back on it, that regret becomes like the starting point for wisdom. You know, if you think about product testing for a second, the goal is really to expose a product to everything imaginable, to try and find what's the strength of the product and then like where are the glaring weaknesses and then try to expose them as quickly as possible. You know, if, if you think about crash test dummies and safety inspections, you're trying to slam that car as many different ways as you possibly can to see how is it going to hold up? What's its integrity like? And I think that going through that process and that regret, it really helped me to understand 
if I am my own product, it helped me to try and develop some wisdom. I definitely developed some basketball wisdom. Like I learned that you have to be much more decisive in basketball, that your launch point needs to be a lot sooner and, uh, and you just need to decide if it's going to be one hand or two. And I will tell you that in, in college with like maybe four people in the stands, nearly the exact scenario took place and I did dunk and I screamed like I was on the battlefield with William Wallace when it happened. People are like, why are you screaming? You know, and it was because I had finally exercised those demons. Then there's a type of regret where there's a decision that you didn't make or maybe an opportunity that you missed. For anyone who remembers the dial-up internet days or the glory days of AOL, you know, you probably are kicking yourself at some point for not having invested in companies like Google or Netflix or Amazon. Geez, I remember when Netflix stock was trading at 15 bucks and I was getting those DVDs in the mail and I think all of us could feel a little bit of the pings of regret. But also, what does that do? How does that change the product? What does that do to change your system configuration internally? Having missed on opportunities to invest in things like Google, Netflix, or Amazon, maybe what that does, it makes you hyper aware of the next big company when it comes to your investment portfolio. Maybe it was a person that you failed to ask out on a date that you realized was a missed opportunity, and maybe that makes you become hyper aware for opportunities in the dating world. So think of disappointment like a speed bump. It's short-lived. It temporarily changes your momentum, and it can be a bummer. Regret, on the other hand, has some structure. It's like a guardrail. It has posts buried deep into your feelings, and thinking of that moment creates a visceral response. It's, you know, like a guardrail, it's really hard to get past it. One of the best executions of this was at a wine and cheese pairing that I went to with Daisy and some friends. There, what they did was these professionals laid out these perfect pairings, and it was wines and cheeses that I would never have thought to put together and it came out just absolutely delicious. I've never really been a big fan of cheese but I wanted to buy all the cheese that I could get my hands on after that and try to recreate some of these perfect pairings. This is kind of like going through your day and everything is coming up roses and everything is good and that's always important. Now, what they did is they gave us this little graph, and then they said, what we want you to do is you're going to go through and try to create your own pairings now, and what we want you to do is find the worst pairing that you can. And so, of course, being very inquisitive and really geeking out on this stuff, I asked the lady, why would we want to find the worst pairing? And they said, so this way, you don't accidentally serve this at a dinner party. What she was essentially having us do is to hunt down the regret to find the guardrails on this little graph of wine and cheese pairings. Now, I don't know what the pairing was, but I eventually did find the worst possible pairing, and it was horrible. But with the right combo, we were able to find all the right ones and all the wrong ones. Essentially, what we did was we were coming up with a script, a playbook for how to purchase wine and cheese. So now let's think of where most of your regret bodies are buried. Maybe it's high school. Uh, or your first year in a job, or your first heartbreak. But if you think about it, all that time, you were product testing. You were finding where the strengths and the weaknesses were. You were discovering the pairings that you'd never want to serve again. And you were experiencing regret, which created a guardrail. And if that helped you stay on course the next time, you'd call it by a different name, and that's wisdom. Wisdom is a product, but it's refined by the risks we take 
and it's financed by the taxes to our ego. If we are constantly striving for no regrets, then what is that really saying? That we're done creating? That the risk factory is now closed? That we will no longer drive on roads that require guardrails? For me, my only regret would be if I lived a life where I was avoiding regret. So if you're gonna make a mistake, make it big. If you're gonna have a failure, do it quickly. Don't try to deflect it, don't rationalize or let your ego mitigate the damage. That's only gonna slow you down. Instead, take the gut punch, internalize it. Ask what you should have done. Ask what you could have done, and then decide what you will do the next time. Then, just like a video game, hit the reset button and take action quickly. There's nothing wrong with crying over spilled milk as long as you're not lying down and rolling around in it. But I guess even experiencing that is way better than just observing it from a safe and comfortable distance and feeling nothing but disappointment. Quick question. Are you enjoying this podcast? Because if you are, please go to iTunes search off the floor and then hit the subscribe button because if you can't tell already you don't need to be a dancer to be a great listener of this podcast in fact this is really about just going outside your comfort zone and on your journey outside your comfort zone i want you to think of off the floor as your travel companion thanks for listening i'm sure you'd never be caught dead using a cell phone from 1998 and as crazy and outdated as a flip phone might seem in today's technology, there are still businesses that have outdated websites. This is where HubSpot can really help. We've been using the platform for the last four years, and it not only can help you get your website updated, but it can turn it into a marketing beast. Want proof? HubSpot's giving off-the-floor listeners a free inbound marketing guide just by visiting hubspot.com slash off the floor. That's hubspot.com slash off the floor and see if it's right for you.